1 Corinthians chapter 14. We are, uh, we've learned a lot about spiritual gifts in this section. Remember chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is particularly talking to them about spiritual gifts, and it all fits together, and so it's important to keep it all in mind. And I'm not going to right now review the whole thing because we're probably going to do that in a couple weeks. Uh, But that's what we've really been talking about. And I'll tell you this, that even though I've studied 1 Corinthians in this topic uh, many times over the last 35, 40 plus years, oh boy, (laughs) I've really learned some things new recently from studying this again. And you know, one thing that I have learned is this, the what we call spiritual gifts are God's gifts to the church. You see, often I think about what my spiritual gift or gifts might be, or what your spiritual gifts, as if I have received a spiritual gift. And that is true, and the Bible refers to gifts as something that an individual receives, an empowerment, an ability to serve him in a particular way. That's, that's a proper way to look at it. But now what I'm seeing is that if, if the Apostle Paul was here to do a seminar on spiritual gifts, he would tell us that the gifts are not really to the person but to the church. God is giving something to the body of Christ. It's simply coming through an individual. It's not really that much about the individual. That you know what your spiritual gift is and that you develop your spiritual gift, all right, that's something. But that's not the main thing. In fact, God is gifting his people. And if the instrument is only sort of partly conscious of it, I, that's okay. And so here we find the ways in which God is gifting his people. We're going to see this as we look into the, a couple of gifts today that are emphasized, that are talked about in, the book, in chapter 14, and this morning especially the gift of prophecy, because what we find out is whatever that gift is, it is God giving words to his people, God speaking to the church. Who has a gift of prophecy? Well, that's something to consider. That's not the main thing. The main thing is God is talking to his people. And I want to encourage you this morning because so many of us at times feel like God is silent, right? We ask God to tell us something and we just hear crickets chirping, spiritually speaking. And maybe it's because we have failed to understand how God is speaking to us all the time. And maybe this passage then will be an encouragement that God is among us. He actually is talking. He's communicating with his people. He's not silent. He may not be answering your question, but he's not silent. And that's the thing I think we'll take away from this this morning, I trust. Now, the problem among the Corinthian believers when it comes to spiritual gifts is that while the gifts of the Spirit were generously and obviously manifest among them, there was evidently a preoccupation with the gift of tongues and a devaluing of the gift of prophecy. Now, I think probably Paul is using the gift of tongues and using the gift of prophecy to make a point. So he could have plugged in maybe some other things, 
Because the point that he's making with the gifts is the point. But in any case, what was obviously happening here is that the gift of tongues was a regular part of their gathering together as believers. So if you were to go to church, so to speak, in Corinth, if you were to meet with a group of believers when they gathered to worship, evidently the gift of tongues would be prominent there and the gift of prophecy not so much. You infer that from what Paul is saying here. And so Paul is going to correct it. Now understand then that Paul is, I'm just thinking of him as a human being, as a human being, he's going to have to strike a delicate balance because he's already made the point that everybody has a gift and everybody belongs in the body and everybody has an important place to fit in the body and one person is not more important than another. He's already made that point. So now he's about to say, you're making too much of that gift and you should be making more of that gift. So he's going to have to make this clear, right? And that's what happens in chapter 14. And that's why he uses a lot of illustrations and analogies to try to make clear what he's saying. And I think it will be perfectly clear. And that's what we want to look at uh, this morning. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of focus, all of chapter 14 fits together. The whole chapter talks about tongues. The whole chapter talks about prophecy. The whole chapter talks about order and treating one another with love in regard to our gifts. So the whole chapter is about, so it's kind of hard to break it up, but just there's a lot here, so we're just going to do that anyway. And we're going to sort of focus on the first 12 verses this morning, and then sort of focus on the gift of prophecy. Okay, so uh, why don't you, is somebody sitting up there? Yeah, Catherine, why don't you, yeah, we'll just put that up there. We'll get to that later, okay? There's just some words to stare at, okay. Let's read this morning from verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit or by the Holy Spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. You starting to get the point? Now, Understand, first of all, that whatever Paul is saying here, it is a way to practice the way of love. That's been dealt with in chapter 13. We're going to get to chapter 13, and instead of putting it in the middle for prominence, we're going to put it at the end for prominence. But the point is, a heart of love, a self-sacrificing desire to do good to your brothers and sisters in Christ has to be the foundation of everything or or none of the rest of it matters. This is following the way of love. And when he says desire spiritual gifts here, that's the way it's translated here, he doesn't mean desire that you get a gift, an enablement, a power that you don't already have. What he means is, as a church, seek that God will gift you as a church. God, give us what we need. That's what he means. Now, 
God's already promised to do that. So that's a prayer you can pray with great confidence. He means desire as a church to be the recipient of God's spiritual gifts. Yeah, they're going to come through people. What people? Yeah, we're going to end up knowing that, but that's not the point. It's God giving us this. That's the point he's making here. And so um, the definitions we get in these verses are interesting. So in, in regard to speaking in tongues, and again, we're going to talk more about this in detail next week. Speaking in tongues is going to get more uh, of an emphasis next week in the sermon. But let me just say that already we're given a definition here. This kind of speaking in tongues that Paul is talking about is speaking to God in one spirit. Now, chapter 12, verse 10 says that there are different kinds of tongues. That's a quote. Different kinds of tongues. So in Acts chapter 2, the tongue speaking there were languages that the speaker did not natively know, but the hearers understood because they were from that country. They were just foreign languages. This is evidently something a little different. And there might be many kinds of tongues. Evidently, Paul thought there were. But in any case, the kind he's talking about here is a kind of speech in a language that the person who's speaking does not have in order to speak to God in his spirit. A prayer language, some people have called it. Maybe that's what a good way to describe it. In any case, that's what he's talking about here. And, in, and then by contrast, the gift of prophecy is somebody using words to talk to the group for their encouragement and strengthening and benefit. And so you can see immediately why, now get this, in the gathering of believers, praying to God in an unknown tongue doesn't do as much good as somebody who's speaking in the language that everybody understands, words of encouragement and comfort and strengthening and edifying. So prophecy then is more valuable and therefore should be more prominent in the gathering of believers than speaking in tongues. Obviously, Paul is saying there's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. He says, I wish you all did. But when you gather, one is more valuable than the other. That's the point that he's making here. And I think that's pretty clear. And so today we're going to focus on that gift of prophecy, speaking to men for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort so that the church may be edified. But let's stay with the context for a minute. Look, look at verses 6 through 12. Now, brothers... If I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. He uses two analogies where distinctions and sounds is important in order to derive meaning from them. Yeah, that's obvious. So it is with you, he says. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, 
I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church, the body, in the community of believers. Seek those gifts. Lord, build us up. Don't just help me. Build us up is what he's saying. And so the gift of prophecy is one that is especially important. Here, clearly in these verses, the main issue is intelligibility. When you compare verses 13 and 17, and we're not 13 through 17, we're not going there this morning just because we're just going to do an artificial cutoff after verse 12. But if we were to go on, we'd see that 13 through 17 emphasizes rationality, intelligibility and rationality. So quite simply, hearing someone say something you can't understand does you no good. The body cannot be strengthened and its faith cannot be sustained by messages that the mind cannot grasp. Now, don't hear me say the rational is more important than anything else you want to fill in. I'm simply saying that if it is not rational, it can't be communicated. Communication comes from intelligible words. Something means something, and I'm going to say meaningful things, and you're going to get the meaning of it. And if that doesn't happen, there is no communication. And if there's no communication, there won't be much of a relationship. So this is all very important. This isn't elevating the rational over the emotional. It's simply saying that in the body of believers, it's important that it be rational or we're not communicating to each other. If you want to go have your private devotions and have a very important, meaningful, deep time of worship with God, and by the way, I hope you do, and whatever words you use to convey to God what you think and feel, wonderful. That's important and that is good. It won't do me any good. That's the point he's making here. So in the body, in the gathering of believers, intelligibility is important. And therefore, prophecy is the gift that, are, that, that, that should take precedence over tongue speaking in, in the church. Look at verses 18 and 19. We're not going here. So look at those verses, but then don't think about them. I'm kidding. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul said. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, let's see if we can sort of hone in on this gift of prophecy. We've already been given some information about it in this passage, and what I'd like to do is share with you not my entire study of it, but maybe the fruit of studying other passages of Scripture on it. So you are not only free to, but you are, it is necessary that you weigh what I say with Scripture. And I'm saying that because that's actually one of the things I'm going to say because the passage does. Okay, so let me see if I can clarify what the, the gift of tongues is. First of all, it's a range of speaking gifts, I believe. Now, the word prophecy and prophet, those are nouns, and the verb prophesy are used a lot in the Bible. You're used a lot. 
The word itself simply means to speak forth. You might say to speak out loud, to communicate outside of yourself to someone else, to speak forth. That's all the word itself means. So, of course, how it's used is what's important. But what's interesting is it's used in all kinds of ways in Scripture. So, some people who prophesy are called prophets, but not everyone. There's a group of people called prophets. There's somebody that this person is called a prophet. And by the way, there's women in the Bible who are prophets and women who prophesy as well as men. But not all those who prophesy are called prophets. Remember Saul when he started to prophesy? Is Saul also among the prophets? No. He was prophesying, but he wasn't the, a prophet. So you see that distinction throughout uh, those sorts of distinctions. Sometimes the prophecy that is uttered is simply a general truth about God or a general word of exhortation. Other times it's very personal and specific. Sometimes it's about the future, but actually many more times it's about a present reality and truth that these people are to know, believe, and embrace that leads to a course of action for them to follow today. So we think of prophecy as the future, and the prophets did talk about the future. By the way, some of what the prophets talked about as future is now past to us. But the point is, more, more often Isaiah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist were saying, you should be doing this today. More often, there's that aspect of it. Sometimes prophecy includes an explanation of some portion of Scripture. And that's why Scripture is prophecy. It's called the prophecy of Scripture, meaning Scripture is prophetic. It is a speaking forth of the words of God. Right. And sometimes a prophecy is just somebody saying what the Bible says. There's examples of that. The prophets of the Old Testament often quoted from the law. They were just exegeting Scripture. But other times, it is a new revelation, something that hasn't been said before. The word prophecy embraces all of that. Uh, it can be directed to the people of God, but it also has relevance for unbelievers. If you look at verse 24 and 25 of this very chapter, you, say, you see people exercise the gift of prophecy. Those who are among you are not believers who will bow down and say, God is really among you. So is it for the people of God or is it for unbelievers? And the answer is yes. My point is simply this. The idea of prophecy in all Scripture is very broad. And so the gift of prophecy I think, embraces a range of speaking gifts. I'm saying that because we think that if you, if you know a thing really well, you're able to define it very narrowly and specifically. But sometimes if you do that, it just means you're narrow. Because the truth is, it might actually be a broad thing. There are many kinds of tongues, Paul said, yeah, and I think there are many kinds of prophecy, many ways in which it shows up in the body of Christ. Remember Peter in chapter 4 of his first letter, he said, in talking about spiritual gifts, he sort of broke it down into two categories of speaking gifts and serving gifts. He doesn't name all the lists like Paul does. He just talks about, let him who speaks do it this way, let him who serves do it that way. And it could be that prophecy then is talking about a range of speaking gifts, I rather think that's true, even for the way it's used here uh, when he says in verse 6, uh, if someone comes in a tongue 
and bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Prophecy is there for your strengthening and encouragement and comfort. It's there for your instruction. It's like, this is a broad thing here. Then what is it that prophecy in this range has in common? There are words from God. Primarily, there are words from God. If you look at the way the word prophecy is used throughout the Bible and in extra-biblical literature, in almost virtually every case, the prophet is speaking from something outside of himself. For the Old Testament prophets, they're hearing from God. They're speaking God's words. For pagan prophets, they're they're hearing the voices of the gods, little g, or a spirit, whether that's an angelic spirit or a demonic spirit or whatever. But in every case, the prophet, the one giving the prophecy, is more of a medium. He is a, a conduit. But the source of the message is a supernatural authority. And so in terms of the church, of course, that authority is God. God is the one speaking. These words, this communication that is intelligible, that is rational, that is meaningful, that is specific, that is life-giving and strengthening and edifying and encouraging and comforting. These words come from God. God is doing that for his people. God is the source. Some people believe that the gift of prophecy in our day is simply what I'm doing right now, preaching and teaching the Bible, which I think preaching and teaching the Bible is a prophetic gift but everything you read, not everything you read in Scripture is going to fit that. It's got to be more than that. I personally believe that God is able to communicate in his, to his people even when they don't, so to speak, have their Bible open. Now, Scripture is clear and is a definitive, objective word from God, so it will always be the source by which we evaluate everything else. And in fact, Jesus is the final and complete word from God. So we're not just talking about some kind of lawyer looking at the document when we look at Scripture. No, we're, we're coming to know the one who has come to us, Jesus, who is God to us, who is the living word of God to us. All of that's true. And so I think that in that context and governed by those sources, God is able to somehow communicate to and direct his people. So is the gift of prophecy operating today? Absolutely. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Both biblically and from experience, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. A word from God, and we need it. So we might say it is spirit-prompted. And that's okay to talk about a spirit-prompted word from God as long as the spirit is more impressive to you than the prompting. You know what I'm saying? The experience of, God said. The experience isn't the point. God speaks. That's the point. And that means then that the human being is simply the medium Granted, God doesn't have to use people to communicate, and frankly, we might wish that he didn't do so, right? How many of us have said, God, just tell me. I'm out here walking in the woods, right? 
Nobody will know. It's just you and me. Just tell me what to do about this job or about this relationship or about this opportunity or about this challenge. God, just speak. And we wish you would just speak to us audibly. And you know God has done that. God has spoken audibly to people. The Bible's full of examples of that. God speaks through spirits, angelic spirits. God has even said true things through <laughs> false prophets. Remember Balaam? He tried his darndest to say what would make him some money. And he opened his godless mouth and God filled it. But he already had an illustration of that because his donkey talked to him. <laughs> God can speak through an animal. God, if you would just send me a telegram. God did that once. He wrote it in stone, gave it to Moses. He wrote it on a wall so Belshazzar could read it. God can communicate in all kinds of ways. Then why is he using people? Same way you, you moms bring your kids into the kitchen and you say, here, stir this. Because that's going to make the whole process go faster and cleaner. No, you do that because you want them included in what you're doing. You want them to be part of this. So God uses people because as a really good and gracious father, he includes us. We are so utterly lame. We're so bad at stuff. We... None of us are really good communicators. You take the best communicator in the world, then poll the people, just listen to them, and each of them heard him say something quite a little bit different. We're bad listeners, we're bad talkers, and yet God uses that medium to communicate to his people, a human medium. But what that means is, is that the prophetic word will always be subject to evaluation. God isn't subject to our evaluation, but because he uses people, we're always going to need to be a little bit wary of whether the message got screwed up coming through the conduit. We're always going to need to watch that. So Paul is telling the Bereans truth about who Jesus is. You know what they did? I'm going to look at the Bible here for a minute here. And they were called noble, wise, right? So you see here in verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. We're just going to be careful here. God told me, let me just tell you now, that if you ever say God told me, you can't ever use that as a trump card to escape evaluation. And the body of Christ, note how I'm saying that, the body of Jesus reserves the right to say, no, God didn't say that to you. Now, you could ignore that, and you can go ahead and go with what God said, and it's all right, God, God's going to take care of you. <laughs> go with what you think God said. And maybe the body of Christ is wrong. Lord knows the body of Christ has been wrong before, right? I, I get all that, but my point is simply that we as human beings need to be humble enough to understand that whatever God is saying through me to you, it's God and you who are just as much a part of it as me. 
And so as you evaluate the words of God in light of what else God has said, in light of the broad body of Christ who's also listening to what God says, my words might need to be a little bit um, altered, maybe a little bit too much of me in that, right? And so because it's a, a human being is the medium, comes through a human agent, it is subject to evaluation. But in every case, the result is edification. The word edify, or literally to build up, is used four times in this chapter. Sometimes it's, it's translated strengthened. In the NIV, that's the word edify. So four times it occurs in this chapter. That seems to be the general effect of the gift of prophecy, the body is built up. That seems to be the general goal that we should have when we gather together, that we should be built up. Now, we need some more information on what that means, and so strengthening is a good synonym, and then there's a word encouragement and comfort and instruction. You can look at it different ways, but we need we need resources. We need God's words to speak to us, to energize us, to stabilize our faith, to grab our attention and narrow our focus on a truth that we have lost sight of in the hubbub of daily life, whatever it is. We need God to speak to us to do that. And so the, the speaking gifts, the gift of prophecy aims at that. Other gifts do too. In fact, all the gifts in one way or another edify the body of Christ in one way or another, but certainly in the gathering of believers, if somebody is speaking words from God, it's something that everybody can, can uh, benefit from, and that's what he's talking about here. In verses 30 and 31, he talks about somebody gets up to prophesy, and he delivers a revelation. So that's another, something is revealed, something is made clear to people. There's different ways of looking at this edification, but that's the result. So if this understanding of the gift of prophecy is correct, then it is clear that this gift is being exercised here in this body of believers pretty regularly. Let me put it this way. God is gifting Tabor with prophetic words for the building up of this body, the building up of us. First of all, every time someone opens the Bible and explains it in reliance on the Spirit of God and with His help, that is a prophetic word from God. It's happening right now with our children in other rooms. It's happened already in Sunday school. It's happening this very moment right here in this room. Whenever somebody is speaking on the, from the authority of God's Word, we are hearing a prophetic word from God. This happens in private as well, right? Somebody writes a note or an email to somebody. Somebody speaks to another person. I just want to remind you, and whenever you are speaking the words of God, the truth from God, that is God speaking through you to a member of the body of Christ. I think it is acceptable to think of that as a prophetic word from God. I think that happens all the time. Wherever someone makes himself or herself available to hear the heart of someone else and speak into their lives, God may use that person to speak prophetic words of strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. It's not about some new truth that no one has ever thought of before. If it were, how could it be evaluated? 
but more likely, it's simply a truth already known that needs to come into the foreground of the hearer's mind to be embraced and believed. Could be a word of advice or direction in keeping with biblical truth that, that gives guidance in a particular situation. I think the first time, and I'm just going to share a couple of my own experiences with this just because I can't share yours. Well, I can, some of you, because I've benefited from it. But I remember the first time that I had this sense that God was using my words in ways that wasn't really about me was when I was a teenager working at a camp and talking to a probably nine-year-old boy who was homesick, crying. So this would have been Monday or Tuesday early in the week. He wants to go home. Everybody knows what I like. I was not a father when I was a teenager. I had very little experience with kids. I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I remember talking to that kid and in a sense sort of hearing myself say things to him that I hadn't thought of, that hadn't run through my mind. Nobody gave me any instruction on how to deal with homesick kids, which is a whole other problem. But anyway... I said words to this kid, and he just kind of calmed down and pretty soon ran off and went and rode horses. And I remember walking away thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> that was the end of it. I didn't go tell anybody. It wasn't any big momentous thing. It just was like, wow. I say that now, and it's, it, it, it's etched in my memory now because it's happened many times where I'm sitting in my office talking to somebody. This doesn't happen every time, but sometimes it's just like somebody's pushing on the back of my head and just something comes to my mind and I need to look them in the eye and say this. Now, maybe that's just me, so evaluate it. But maybe God is just using this poor, lisping, stammering tongue, as the song puts it, to speak into the hearts of people, right? Those who counsel for a living, for a ministry, do it all the time. I mean, the ones who are, you know, in tune with God and listening to Him, God is using their words. Yeah, happens all the time. You might have given a prophetic word. I'm using that term, right? It's like it's a technical term. You may have been given a prophetic word to somebody and never knew it. God is not obligated to tell you he's about to use you or that he just did, right? What's the point here? God speaks to his people. God is alive and present and communicating with his people. We can count on him to do that. We can be available to him to be his instrument in doing that. Some people are more qualified and gifted to be able to do that in different ways. Isaac said that he has gained some experience in talking before what he called a large group of people here. Right? Good. So there's different ways in which we are given experience or natural gifts or whatever. But, but the point is we can be available to God to be a conduit of his communication to people in all kinds of ways. And that's what I think we need to do. There have been times when I have 
stood here many, many times, and I don't mean necessarily every week. Well, it may happen every week. I'm only aware of it every now and then when I'm, I've got my notes, but there's, I'm saying something to you that's not in my notes. I'm saying something to you that I didn't plan to say. Let me just tell you, it is not because I'm smart or insightful. I'm an idiot. If that happens, it could be that God is speaking to you. And the point is God speaking to you. God is communicating with his people. That's the point. It's not about the instrument. It's not about that. It's about the goodness and grace of God to communicate with his people. And that's the thing to absorb in all this. God is not, in fact, silent. Indeed, he may not be answering our specific questions. He may not be telling us how to make a specific decision we have to make next Tuesday, and we want to tell him whether we should choose A. We want him to tell us whether we should choose A or B, and we ask him, and he just doesn't tell us. Maybe because God doesn't care about that question or that decision. Dare I say that? And maybe what God is saying to you is something way more important than that. Maybe he's trying to get your mind on something else that's way more crucial and fundamental than those things. My point is that God is speaking to his people. So listen. Listen when you read the Bible. Listen when you pray. Listen when godly people are talking. Listen when you are in the presence of the body of Christ Listen when the word is being proclaimed. Listen, 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 because God is speaking. God is speaking. He's faithful to do that. Worship team is going to come to the front, and we're just going to, well, they're going to sing this song. We, we can sing along with them if we want those. Speak, O Lord. This is a prayer. Let these words fill your own sense of desire in your heart and even your mouth. Just ask the Lord to speak to you because he is. He wants to. He's faithful to do it. Heavenly Father, we've seen your love this morning, your faithfulness as a father, first of all, to include, you, to include us in what you're doing so that you use our feeble mouths and minds instruments to communicate how gracious and condescending you are but mostly Lord we've seen your heart and your commitment to communicate with your people to speak words of life and health and direction and comfort and encouragement and building up thank you Lord for that give us ears to hear I pray Make this our prayer, Lord. Speak, O Lord.
Yes, Lord, let your words fill our hearts and minds to give comfort and encouragement. May we have confidence that you have not left us alone in silence, that you are indeed speaking. Give us ears to hear. Take us through this week, Lord, and make it plain to us that you are speaking. And may we be willing to be your conduits, your instruments, to speak words of health and life and building up and comfort and encouragement and challenge and instruction to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, speak. Speak, O Lord, through us and to us. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.